0: Hey everyone, this is Jennifer harvey Sana, and I'm with my dear friend and collaborator Karin Eglinton, and we're here today talking about exploring giftedness and trauma healing. This is a topic that we don't find much out out in the world. You don't find much literature on it, you don't find many talks on it, you find a lot about giftedness, a lot about trauma, but not much that covers both topics. And specifically, you never find anything about gifted-specific trauma. So the idea of growing up feeling like an alien, that's quite traumatic for a lot of gifted people. And uh, while in a community like InterGifted, you might hear lots of people talk about that, you don't find that in a lot of the uh, literature or things that are available for kids for adults. Mm. So Katrin and I have been exploring this topic together, thinking about what's relevant for our community. And today we're going to start with the topic of shame and how much shame many gifted people are carrying around in relation to having trauma to begin with, um, having gone through trauma and not having come from it yet. So that's going to be our little exploration for the next half hour or so, and I hope you enjoy it. So Karen, maybe you could introduce yourself and then I'll tell everybody a little bit about
1: yeah, hi everyone. I'm Katrin, and I am a coach with InterGifted and uh, Jen here is my mentor and dear friend and we actually see trauma or we, we see, we talk about and we think about trauma quite a lot when we work with the gifted population even though we don't work in a therapeutic way and even though that's not part of our domain as coaches we definitely find ourselves needing to to at least bring it up with clients once in a while and to to bring up that awareness so um we notice it in um our community as well how people are perhaps feeling really um constrained and so on by trauma trauma responses trauma loops complex PTSD and uh and one of the things when people are sort of like starting to do a little better is the question like well how come these trauma reactions or these PTSD flashbacks or what what have you keep coming up why why am I not done with it yet Yeah, so that's that's where um, part part of where our thoughts go when we start to explore trauma. Yeah,
0: and um, as Karen's uh, Karen, I I usually call her Karen, so
1: that's my nickname. It's totally fine. Everybody can refer to me, Karin or Karen. is totally fine.
0: So I'll probably say it interchangeably throughout our discussions together. So yes, Um,
1: yeah.
0: So as Karin said, um, we, I, I am the, the founder of Inter Gifted and I'm also a coach, uh, a psychologist, but I practice as a coach and a mentor and, um, and, and working with gifted people all these years, it's been absolutely necessary for me to be well-versed in trauma um, and trauma healing. Uh, and that's largely because uh, a lot of the gifted specific trauma that people have, it doesn't come out in a regular context. So, if a person's uh, working with a trauma specific therapist, um, it's not, (laughs) unless they're gifted the specific trauma, gifted specific therapist, it's not likely that gifted specific trauma is really going to come out and be recognized. Mm -hmm. So, then the basic question is what is gifted specific trauma? And it's like I said, feeling like an alien your whole life for a lot of people can feel very traumatic. Um, We're dependent on the system that we're born into and that is the sort of human system and the culture that we're born into. And when we feel so drastically different from the system that we're born into, that can lead to um, feelings of extreme confusion. And trauma generally happens for people in uh, situations of extreme confusion and a uh, sense of lack of safety or insecurity. So if you're you know, born as a gifted person looking to... Let's say a non gifted majority to raise you and to guide you and to be your authorities and to make decisions for you and help you develop your own internal moral code and um, your own internal value systems and so on. Uh, it can feel really traumatizing <clears throat> because you really, really unsafe. And so the clients that are coming to us, a lot of times, even their therapy can have been at times traumatizing
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they weren't they were being told I've you know heard this from a lot of clients they were being told well you know you just you just have to you know adapt you just have to adapt to the way the
1: world is yeah so it, there's lots of versions that uh, that you, you Jen and I have heard over time of what that looks like in some cases that can look like Uh, misdiagnosing gifted normal behaviors and ways of feeling and experiencing the world as pathological, and in other cases, it can look like sort of like diametrically opposed uh, where the person, the gifted person is really struggling, and then the therapist will pronounce them perfectly healthy because the high ability is helping them cope with their difficulties. So that's what happened to me when
0: I was in my early twenties, I was studying to become a therapist and I realized in studying to become a therapist that I had issues that I needed to deal with in order to be fully present and competent for my clients. Um, and so I went to a therapist and I saw her for about three months and after three months she said, you know, you're, you're really healthy, you're mentally healthy, um, I think our therapy is done. I, I don't see any reason that I still need to see you. And yeah. I remember inside feeling completely devastated. Um, I I felt, I mean, there were times I felt suicidal at that yeah. point in my life. In a, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, have a plan, uh, so to speak, but I had a lot of existential stuff that's just really common for gifted people. Um, you know, a lot of meaninglessness. It was a time that I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my, my adult life, what I was going to do with my career. And people were pushing me in certain directions, you know, to try to fit in the normal mold. And I was like, you know, not, not interested in not, not feeling satisfied with those options, but trying to fit in nonetheless. And, um, so I was struggling with all of that. And she was, saying that I was healthy. And one of the things I remember hearing her say was, well, you seem to have a really good understanding of you know, all of your issues and what you should do about them. And I, and I was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure, <laughs> uh, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm a smart person, but that doesn't mean that I don't need the support and that doesn't mean I've got it all figured out. And I struggled after that like I said, that was in my early 20s. And then there was a long period where I still really, really needed the help. But I was so terrified to try again. I was so terrified of not being seen again, that I refused to go to a therapist for another, I think, four or five years. (laughs) All the, you know, in the, in the, in the meantime, doing therapy for other people. So you can imagine that. I mean, I wasn't doing trauma therapy, fortunately for people, but
1: yeah it. other it's than really the therapy part I could so relate <laughs> to yeah. that uh, experience i mean, you know because I've shared that with you but I, I worked not not in a psychology field but in the in an area of like holistic healing for a while and, and people looked up to me for my groundedness or well being. And meanwhile on the inside I was having these high functioning panic attacks, uh constant anxiety and not feeling like uh whenever I did reach out for help, I didn't feel like I was I felt like I was being looked at like, yeah, but you have you 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 should know this. You should have understood this based on how intelligent you are and based on how resourceful you are, this should not be a problem for you. Yeah.
0: Well, and I don't know if this was the case for you, but it was for me that like i I did appear to be doing really well. Mm. I, mean, I was working three jobs and doing my master's degree really fast. Uh, I had a relationship that was apparently successful, even though I wasn't happy with it. But from the outside, everybody said, "Oh, you have the perfect situation." Um, I did all of the things that people expected, and I did them you know extremely well. I didn't feel internally like I wanted to do them, but I did them. And yeah, I mean, so it was a very confusing situation for for me and for a lot of people. Um, I can see why they, they would, I, could, I mean, looking back, I can see why they were like confused. But if, um, you know, gifted therapists had met me then, they would have totally understood that I was not okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking as sort of like compare and contrast my own experience. And even though, um, you know, in my, like, let's say 20s, I wasn't so much of a high achiever. And I kept sort of like, um, I had like, I was employed, I was working hard, I was uh, very involved in a spiritual community. And I was, you know, like, wherever I went, I got sort of these um looks of you know like just compliments and 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 looks of like yeah it like you know like she's a trooper she's trying really hard and she's getting her life in order and so on and so forth i know that people also commented once in a while like why why are you such a low achiever like you could be doing anything you could set your mind to and i i i didn't see it that way like huge imposter syndrome i didn't think that i could you know, like sur- even survive a a job like that demanded more than thirty hours a week of me. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but so even though I didn't have like so much of the like masking and, and sort of like passing for normal in that sense of of um, let's say worldly success. Yeah. Um, I had that in terms of like seeming emotionally healthy and seeming very yeah. psychologically well adjusted and, and even wise like that was the one typical thing that people said of me yep <laughs>
0: it's one of the things that I've heard from clients as well like yeah. people who have a strong sense of humor um you know a very sort of mm, self-deprecating sense of humor um people who have just an ability to talk about a domain that like you know in in very in a very sort of gifted way you know um so to talk about emotionality or talk about psychology or something in a very convincing way doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to live it out but they know how to talk about it in a way that makes it sound like they can live it out or maybe they can live it out on the neuronorm level but that in a way that would be um fulfilling to them they can't you know, they don't, they don't have the uh, support for that or the the possibilities for that or whatever. And then the other thing is the idea of being an old soul. You know, that's something that I've, I was told that a lot uh, growing up and I've heard that from a lot of my clients that people think they're an old soul. And so somehow that excuses a lot of other things, you know, it's like, oh, you're an old soul, so you can, you're an old soul, so you can handle things, you know,
1: it's like, and it's it's what drives the like the conflict internally, right? Because the you know as, as a quote unquote old soul who can often like you know hold space for others, give it, give good yeah. advice, um, support others with their problems. How come I can't figure my own stuff out? Yeah. And how come I'm still like? How come I'm like not even figure out problems cognitive? I'm like how how come I'm suffering? How come I'm hurting? How come I I'm waking up? In the morning and thinking, "I don't want to live yeah that kind of those kinds of questions, and then the story for me was that I would you know feel that sort of cyclically and cycle through these uh times of intense pain, intense despair, and then take my old soul <laughs> and, and shove everything under the rug, you know yeah. <laughs> and then use that as almost like an armor against the theme. yeah
0: yeah and that's what I've seen a lot of people do I've been there in my own way as well yeah so with clients I mean the thing is that people come in with this enormous amount of shame about not having gotten the help that they needed about not I've, I've heard people say it like I, I was a bad client you know like mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. heal the way that my therapist wanted me to or that I was expected to um you know these kinds of things that are like this this sort of yeah coat of shame about the fact that they're still struggling with this stuff and it comes back to this idea like if you're not recognized if people see you as healthy or whatever you're not getting that validation so what I've had to work on in more recent years in my own therapy is validating the other side of the story Mm. you know um, validating that, yes, okay, that's true that I could, that I could function well, but it was also true that I was really struggling and that it was really hard for me to convince people that that was actually happening. Yeah. And, um, as a little preview for something that, you know, we're working on, so this will be interesting for the audience is we're working on a project around chronic illness and giftedness. And one of the, uh, lines of conversation that's come up in our discussion on that so far is about how much the gift uh, the um, illness could was used as a mask mm. as a you know socially acceptable excuse, let's say, for the gifted side of things, yeah. so the gifted suffering was not taken seriously yet the sickness the physical illness was, and that was so true in my case. I spent a lot of my life you know being very very sick um and many times that was the only way I could get people to believe that I was weak in some way or another and, and legitimize the fact that yeah I, I couldn't handle the normal the normal yeah. stuff or that I was struggling
1: yeah absolutely That there's moments where it's it's easier more understandable easier to translate to say um, I have extreme chronic pain and therefore I can't go out rather than say uh-huh my emotional overexcitabilities <laughs> are too triggered when I go out into a crowd of uh, non-gifted people, for instance.
0: Yeah. Or just the, the um, you know, um, the existential stuff. Yeah. You know, for me, it was a lot of, it's easier to um, just be sick than it is and, and, and avoid people that way. it is to go out and have to answer the question how are you and lie or say something totally inappropriate like I'm existentially in panic because of the way the world is or because nobody seems to you know be interested in deeper conversations around me or everybody just seems to you know do the same rhythm every day and I don't know how you can all do it how are you all doing it
1: you know exactly yeah it's like it it the the giftedness and and I think um this will um we'll come back to this but the giftedness and the the gifted trauma uh, it has so multi-branched you know like it branches off into all these arenas you can find it in the existential realm or or i guess a better way to say it is the existential issues present themselves in all arenas yeah and, and that can be in relationships, it can be at work, it can be socializing, it can be when dealing with, like, cleaning the kitchen, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, cleaning the kitchen becomes an existential issue. Yeah. And then people wonder, well, how come you're so untidy or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I sort of wanted to circle back around to this thing that you said, Jen, about feeling like an alien. And I wanted to connect that to one of the, um, I I would say, most um, comprehensive um, foundational ideas in trauma, and the current understanding of trauma in terms of like interpersonal neurobiology. Uh, Some of you will be probably familiar with um, Stephen Borger's polyvagal theory. And some of you may not. And if you're not, I highly recommend that you read his book, that you uh, go into YouTube and search a video by him because he's a, a very good teacher, like a very good communicator mm-hmm. as well. an awesome nice speaker, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so what I'm thinking about and why I'm introducing this concept is because the, this neurobiological theory um, gives us an understanding of how uh, healing happens in relationship and how it, it is literally our nervous system to nervous system connection that keeps us, keeps our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our psyches running optimally. And therefore, it makes perfect sense that a sense of alienation would generate trauma in all arenas of life, even the like from the simplest to the most complex. So um, to, to, that's an, an interesting piece for me to think about because uh, one of the things that I do work with a lot is the idea of relationship and how we connect to other people as gifted people in authentic ways. So therefore, for me, the the question of gifted trauma as alienation from relationship comes up a lot. And I wanted to bring that up also to say, all these examples that we're giving about our therapist not getting it, other people looking at us and reflecting a completely different reality to us, all those things are basically creating a relational rupture saying you you know to the gifted person you are self-sufficient and you must continue to be self-sufficient in all things and that puts our relational nervous system offline and so the only thing left for us is to go into the trauma responses almost it's like it's shutting down the pathway to the healthy connection yeah and i think i mean
0: that would be maybe the most neutral version of it mm-hmm. um because the more insidious versions, I think, are um, are, are not only your self-sufficient, but um, kind of your f- your f- you you should take the help that I'm giving you, which mm-hmm. you know. So it's like don't be self-sufficient, take the help, but the help might be so very wrong, you know, so very um, misattuned to the gifted person, yeah. and so there's that. You know, there's that next level of it as well, where it's not only like make it on your own. It's like, you know, take take this. You've got to take my help, and it's going to be in this form, and this is what it's going to look like. And that leaves a person, you know, then in in a in a second trauma loop, which is like not only do I not get the help, but I have to either reject this person, you know, who I might love, mm-hmm. or um, and, and reject their help. Uh, or so, you know, beyond the act of just not getting the help, I have to actually re- reject this help, or I'm forced to take it and hurt myself even more, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, yeah, there's, there's other levels of that as well, I think.
1: uh Yeah, there's many levels where even, and this has come up like an awful lot recently with clients. I don't know if this is, it's probably like also uh, the case for you, John the 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 idea of negative attribution. Yeah when we don't understand where somebody else is coming from our cognitive bias will make it so that we will tend to interpret something, a negative intention. Mm-hmm. And so when the gifted person is acting in ways where the neuronorm person doesn't understand, the neuronorm person will tend to attribute a negative intention and label uh or, or act in ways that imply the gifted person is is at fault or or or, or like you can continue to iterate <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely
0: and with all of that comes an i mean an enormous amount of shame um, Exactly. just the shame of not fitting in uh the the shame of um be, you know being forced to be self-sufficient this was one of the big areas of shame that i grew up with which was like I guess I must've done something to deserve the fact that, you know, people aren't there for me and, and the way that would make any sense to me. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, that would go into terrible existential stuff. Like, well, why was I born if this was what was going to happen and so on and so forth. And, um, and then the other thing is the shame that comes with this misattribution. Yeah. You know, the, the, pe- the way that you can feel ashamed of the fact that you had to reject other people yeah. that you might love, you know, or uh, like you have to reject somehow or another because they're projecting onto you that you're doing this with negative intention. And, you know, it, it it's like can spiral off in all of these different directions in which just basically the whole system is not like attuned to what is actually going on for you so i sometimes see it like spinning plates <laughs> you know like the idea of you just see persons constantly having to spin plates so that things don't fall in and crash yeah and it's like relationally spinning plates and realizing you know that that you're having to like spin plates in order to like you know stay alive and be okay in your relationships can be really again it's shame inducing like why do i have to work so hard i mean relationships are work so it's not to say like oh well None of us should have to work for our relationships.
1: But you know um there's a, a bit of a level of, a, of organic an organic quality that you could have if you didn't have to be spinning plates, not that you wouldn't have to work at it.
0: Exactly. And the idea of working to spin plates to um to to you know let's say keep an attuned relationship attuned that's one thing. But you know to avoid a misattuned relationship from totally destroying you. That's another thing. So, yeah, there's like the joyful work and then the just panicked, you know, yeah. panic work. And, and being a maybe a 30 or 40-year-old and even 20-year-old, whatever, uh, adult, and you're still struggling through all of that. I mean, it just can induce so much shame. And that's the thing that we often see, you know, people saying, why? If I'm so smart, why? Is my life like this? Why are my are my relationships like this? And it comes back to just what you said that, I mean, if your life is still like this, it's probably not your fault. You probably haven't had the attuned uh, relationships that would provide that nervous nervous system to nervous system, you know, mirroring and regulation. Yeah, that would allow you to you know, you know to to regulate those things and to deal with the misattunement in healthier ways i mean cuz that's a lot of the the trauma healing as we'll talk about i'm sure later on is learning how to deal with that attunement in creative constructive non-reactive ways which when you become an adult i mean trauma healing as an adult can be a lot simpler in a way because you're no longer dependent mm-hmm. and once you're no longer dependent you have different options for how you deal with you know trauma triggers and um people that are triggering, you know, people in relationships that are triggering your trauma. So, you know, not having the dependency, then you can get creative with things. You can you can channel your energy in, in different ways. And you can start to respond to that misattunement by kind of transmuting it and figuring out ways to find the attuned energy in in other relationships, you know, with other gifted people. Typically, mm-hmm. and then respond to the misattunement differently because once you, you know, basically, it's like I say to all my clients once you're not starving anymore, you know, you don't treat food the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so and it changes. And a lot of people say, like, oh, I don't, I'll never, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never feel like a knob, I'll never feel okay. It'll never, be, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know because I've been there and I've said those same things. And I also know that once you're not starving anymore, even if you don't have a feast yet, Um or even if you'll never have a feast. I mean, for some of us that are really, really, really far outliers, we may never have a feast. Mm -hmm. I mean maybe not a feast as big as we would ideally want it, so to speak. An intimate
1: candle at dinner, maybe.
0: (laughs) Or may but (laughs) but intimate. Not a big feast. And, And but once you have that, then you know, you you do treat food differently and you can maybe appreciate sweets without stuffing your face with them or whatever you know and it's so they may not be the most uh, nutritious things and you can you can calibrate you know how how you behave with all of the different social nutrients that are around um and that sense of choice really does come with becoming an adult and i mean there is of course some stuff that that kids can do you know kids who are dependent but Once you're an independent adult, then you do have these choices, and that's a lot of what we're doing with clients, helping them work through those choices. Since we're in the coaching role, we're not, you know, necessarily going through what are the specific traumas and how did they happen, and you know, with whom and all of that. But we're kind of picking up on the feelings that are a result of the traumas. So the sense of alienation, the sense of starvation, the sense of um, you know malnour this this chronic malnourishment um, these themes around you know masking uh, not legitimizing the disability any disabilities that might be present whether that's related to giftedness or not mm-hmm. um, you know and just the side that like we were talking about earlier just the side that can't be capable all the time you know <laughs> yeah. the side that just needs stuff like. A, Like a kid needs stuff, and you just need it, and there's no way you can be self-sufficient with that.
1: Or it's like almost like redefining our humanity. And john you talked about this a lot about like, yeah, I get to be a person too, because there's so many people that I see, both peers and clients. We've it's like we've internalized this. I must be always capable. I must always be spinning those plates. And then the moment that a need arises or a, a place where we could not complete it without another, then it be, then it becomes a shameful thing. And yeah. it need not be. It's recognizing that the the paradigm of forced self-sufficiency is actually a trauma-based paradigm. And wow. the, the real thing of being human is that we need each other. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And I think something essential with that is like, the whole concept of goal setting and values um, determination, mm-hmm. like I kind of said at the beginning, is social. Yeah. Um, there's a certain amount of validation that we need from others, even if we're super introverted. There's a certain amount of validation we need from others um, to celebrate our unique individuality, so including our goals and our our internalized values and stuff. And if and what's happening, what you know, what I've seen with a lot of people, and I was there, you know. 20 years ago, as well, maybe not even that long ago, um, was that I wasn't getting validation for what my goals or my unique uh, value system was, mm-hmm. and so it was like I wasn't alone in a way, but I was, um, I wasn't with other people who got what like what I cared about and like understood and validated my values and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I had this sense of like, I have to kind of like, you know, the achievement model I have to achieve, and then I will sort of earn this connection piece or whatever.
1: Uh Uh Yeah, I totally super resonate with that. That was like that for me as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's a really, really common one that I think both of us hear from clients a lot
1: yeah absolutely it doesn't feel like like a deserved well even deserve is not a good word but just like what i said before like an organic yeah, yeah we're we're there for each other we cheer for each other we appreciate each other for who we are it's more like if on, if i only can scale that one mountain then i will dot 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 fill in the blanks yeah yeah
0: Um, even that aspect I think is uh, an area of trauma for many people mm -hmm. like that they're living their life according to values that are not theirs and that's their social connection and so it's
1: very confusing yeah and and it's like it's depleting because it's like you, you scale that mountain and then there's just another mountain <laughs> it's endless mountains forever and, and never the sense of reward or like or if there is reward it's like a, a short-lived sense of oh, okay I did this well, and I mean,
0: you know, I think any life is scaling mountains forever. I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> kind of the nature of the beast. But the thing is, um, are you scaling the mountains that are interesting for you? Yeah. You know, because if, if I'm scaling the mountains my mom wanted to see her whole life, well, I may find some interesting things along the way, but it may not be, you know, the space I wanted, I always longed to explore. And so it's going to feel empty somehow
1: in yeah. the end. Yeah, and and therefore there's not that sense of intrinsic motivation and then intrinsic joy that then you could share with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of wanted to weave this. Um, let me just think for a second. Uh, what what we were saying uh, before with this, and what I'm trying to think about is you know just how to say it in a succinct way, which is. Yeah there's this aspect of um having like a person a gifted person in front of me for example uh whether they're a client or a friend or whoever who's just discovering that they're gifted they know that they're traumatized and and sort of like illustrating all that we've been saying when they first talk to you or me or any of the other coaches or somebody who's been a bit further along in their gifted discovery, and then there's an ease in conversation where they can yes. just say whatever, and and op- just open their mouth and don't have to translate, or they start like apologizing, and then the other person's like, "No, no, I totally understood what you meant." Yeah, and that only starts to happen in that spontaneous sort of nervous system to nervous system gifted connection that allows for those intrinsic values and intrinsic qualities that the person has to emerge that were sort of submerged under the shame and under the label like this is this is one of your flaws yeah like, you you talk too much or you like care too much or um you make everything so complicated or you're so perfectionistic and then two gifted people start to talk to each other and then all these things all of a sudden stop being flaws and can be recontextualized yeah as just another wonderful part of the other person
0: <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah they almost mm-hmm. yeah. go ahead Oh, I I said that too. <laughs> what were you saying? Um, I was just gonna say then they become sort of part of the back backdrop, you know, like creative tools backdrop kind of thing, as opposed to this thing that you know it's like if I don't know if you're the only one with a nose and then everything. Oh my God, you need know, this thing on your face, and it's yeah. uh, then if you <laughs> that if you're like talking to other people's noses, then you're just like okay, so. That's a given. So now what? Like, what do we create? What do we do
1: together? Exactly. And that's really nice. So yeah, everybody has a nose. What's the big deal? All right. Like, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> um, but it's very interesting because before clients uh, have that experience, Right? There's a cognitive piece that keeps circling around that says, like, I will never achieve that level of attunement. I will never achieve. And then after having the experience, this is what you were saying, John, about like actually getting to have some food, not starve, the experience, like, post uh, satisfaction of that hunger is like almost like changes the whole perspective of life and what life is about yeah Does that makes sense what i'm saying oh yeah <laughs> it's like with that kind of moment an... even that one first moment all of a yeah. sudden can propel a huge unraveling of how we thought life used was supposed to be yeah
0: yeah absolutely and this this is exactly what i was talking about in terms of the values and goals yeah it's right. even even the way we imagine our values and goals <clears throat> from the point of view of Let's say being unconventional in the neuronorm world. If we're with the non-neuronorm, you know, if we're with people that reflect back to us, you know, their nose and our nose, then then it's like there's this sort of basic reality, this basic reality weave that then you you just you just think okay, so that's my basic. And now I can build off of there. But if you're like, if your goals are like, just got to get that, just got to get that, just got to get that. It's almost like you have this obsessive quality. And, um, there's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's like when you're starving and you just, all you can think about is getting, getting food. That's that's just it.
1: So, I mean, I say exactly. like like the cartoon characters when they're starving and they start picturing like a roasted chicken and everything they see.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Like that. And then if you've lived like that all your life, then of course you're going to think you're surrounded by roasted chickens that you cannot reach. <laughs> <laughs> and right. all of a sudden food comes into your belly and you're not seeing roasted chickens anymore. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. And so the whole idea of like what your values are and what your goals could be, it it changes. The whole basic formula and what you have to work with what you have to work from changes and also having the possibility of you know like nourishing creative partners and stuff that also changes things then you're not just you know the solo creator and the solo person that just has to like power through and figure it out you know yeah and I mean a lot of the stuff that we're talking about applies to some degree to some gifted people some of the time I mean it's not everybody's like this all the time and we've all you know only suffered in life I mean we're talking about a you know very specific experience that a lot of gifted people report. but you know I'm not going to go say every person is going to have this exact thing in their life a lot of people grew up with you know, really good support. Maybe they grew up in a gifted family, maybe they went to a gifted school, you know, whatever. Maybe they've been surrounded, and so they haven't had as much misattunement as some others of us. But it's important to kind of think about where one is at, you know, on the spectrum and um, and and you know not disqualify that. There might have been times and in, in like periods in one's life where this was going on, and that can still have an effect, even if the whole of one's life wasn't in this kind of you know vein
1: yeah yeah it's not all or nothing it can be you know a a season one event a series of events all our lives and that's going to make for a very different presentation in some ways but it still deserves to be acknowledged even if it was just one time right which which leads
0: me to one of the areas of shame, which is um, other people suffered so much. I just watch the news and see how much you know people suffer. I'm not going to complain about you know quote gifted trauma. That's absurd. Yeah, you know,
1: I hear that a lot.
0: Yeah, me too. There's a lot of shame around that, and and it it's interesting because a lot of the shame comes out of or is kind of you know in this um, constellation with a lot of the shame that came from. For example, I was. I had fun winning games, but I was, you know, always after a certain point, I was, I started to get ashamed that I would always be the winner, you know? And so mm-hmm. I would lose on purpose quite a lot to just balance things out socially, yeah. uh, you know, and, and success at work and just the different things. And I, I would kind of, you know, try to temper that so that it didn't stand out so much. There was a lot of shame around just, I don't know, outrunning people, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um so even with that aspect, like there's that's like one star and then this then this other star and then the, the constellation comes together and it can all get kind of mixed in, you know? Yeah. So like, oh, I mean, I'm so much I'm so much quicker than people. I or I, you know, I have this brain and it's so much quicker than like then I can't complain about it. Like I can't you know, if I had maybe a, if I was on the other end of the IQ spectrum, for example, and I was really struggling with deficits, then I would be like, it would be legitimate for me to complain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But because I have the other problem, so to speak, it's not a problem. And I should just be thankful that I have this brain. And it's like, yeah. And there's this whole other lived, real lived experience. And what I tell people all the time is like, trauma is registered in your body. So um, whether you're like a lion is attacking you, or you are feeling like your gifted needs are ignored, your body's responding. Your yeah. body does not care whether it's a first world problem, third world problem, or whatever. Your body is like, I'm not going to survive, and it responds like the body. You know, like like our animal body is pro- uh, programmed to do. So it's not. I mean, what I'm usually helping people do is, uh, di- like, kind of basically um, like divorce the narrative in their head from the physical experience of it and say like it kind of just the narrative like doesn't matter like you don't have to get attached to like it's morally right or wrong to have that narrative as you had said before um and you put it so well with that like putting a moral judgment on whether i'm you know allowed to have this, this narrative this trauma narrative or not or whatever you just you kind of just put that aside and go like i don't need to have any sort of moral feeling on any of that, the reality is this got program- is that this got programmed in my body and it's mm-hmm. still having an effect. So yeah. regardless of why, it's still programmed in my body. And if I want to take good care of myself, I got to do something about it.
1: Yeah, it's like trying to, it's, it's trying to deny the injury because it shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still there. Yeah, but it's still there. Yeah, but it shouldn't because the rest of me is really well yeah yeah <laughs> all right so I wanted to
0: ask about um about things that you do with your clients in working through this shame around the trauma so I mean obviously we talked to them about these themes of um you know connecting with other gifted people making sure that they're connecting and getting that nourishment are there other
1: things that you would add in um well let me think about it um A lot of what I do with clients is legitimizing the person under the shame um, so as to separate what was internalized. And that comes out actually quite organically, like we might be working on something else completely and then these shame bursts come to light and then we talk about them and then we're able to often separate who like who decided that you're not allowed to have a nose (laughs) yeah right (laughs) and why and and do we is this still relevant um so that that's one of the things and you know what one of the biggest things that i do in my work with clients is is legitimizing pain yeah like really just I, I just in the in the same vein that we were saying just now, acknowledging that the pain is there, even as there is maybe joy, ecstasy, high levels of energy, creativity, um lofty goals, all these things, yeah. there is a deep pain, and one does not cancel the other out, yeah, 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 that's beautiful because I
0: think uh it's what I'm working with a lot of my clients is a sort of let's say if I dare use the word a non dual approach um mm-hmm in the sense of, you know, validating what happened then, validating what's going on now. And there's room for both. I mean, a lot of, I think, growing into psychological adulthood is learning to live with the cognitive dissonance of existence, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, pain does exist and beauty does exist and it all exists together. And there's a certain amount that we of, of influence that we have on that balance. And I think... You know, both you and I have done a lot of work in whatever you want to call it, spiritual, advanced spiritual development or advanced personal development, mm-hmm. whatever take one wants to to take on that. Um, and, you know, it's kind of getting to the point where um, you're choosing to focus on the positive, but in no way to ignore the, the negative, so to speak. Yeah. So bringing it all in and realizing that you know, um, a focus on the positive without denying the negative allows the two to blend together in lovely ways. If that—I mean—that could sound absurd to somebody uh, listening. <laughs> like, what is she talking about?
1: Yeah, in um, holistic ways, it creates a wholeness,
0: right? Yeah, and what happens when when that occurs is that you stop denying a part of just what's happening for you. You know, so mm-hmm. all of that resistance. All that denial of what's happening takes a lot of energy. Like denial is um, is a is a, pro- a psychological process that which takes a lot of energy. And maybe it was really a survival strategy for back then, you know. But then the question to my clients and the question I've asked myself over the years is like, okay, it was a survival strategy back then, but is it is is it still adaptive for me? Am I dependent on something so much so that I need to deny? it you know in order to keep surviving it and the answer is always no i mean i'm no longer dependent on the parents or you know to some degree of course i'm dependent on our culture but for the most part i'm a fairly independent person and so i can say okay well i'm gonna generally focus on the positive but allow that negative sometimes to be present when it shows up and sort of allow it to dissipate in the, you know, in the positive without Mm -hmm. fighting against it.
1: Yeah. I would say for me, even the experience is that there's like a, a, like a second order, second level deep pain, even just from the action of trying to be in denial. Like the, the, the moments where I have been able to really like accept a piece of my painful experience, even though I felt shame about it, there was a relief in just allowing that to be part of the wholeness that I, that it's like, I didn't even have to resolve the problem. I just had to accept that it existed. And it all of a sudden was like, ah, what a relief. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's this, this incredible relief when you let go of the, the, the need to resist the thing. I mean, even with the shame, I mean, I'm not telling people, you got to get rid of that shame. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. I mean, I'm like, okay, so it's there. Let's look at it. What do you want to do with it? Like, it is an energy. You know, we can take it and turn it around to something else or channel it in a creative way or whatever. But it is an energy and it is there. So... Yeah, it all belongs. like it's not.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I was reading something recently, I don't remember where, where it was talking about shifting from the problem-based thinking because yeah. you know, that, that's the other the, the way of thinking that we've been in all this time I have a problem I need to cut off from it I have to yes. solve it I have to deny it I have to numb it or medicate it or whatever and then all of a sudden the shame's no longer a problem the gifted aspects of self are no longer a problem they're yeah. part of something that is um, in my own like my my own way of expressing giftedness can be very ecstatic in some ways so, so yeah. for me, it's like like um beholding that mystery and yeah. embracing the mystery that i don't know the whole of who i am or what yeah. i am and i get to find out and that is very joyful for me
0: yeah yeah and i think another aspect of of it is that um a lot of people are scared to let go of the resistance and stuff because in in if they were like surrounded previously by uh you know neuron world, you know, social environment, um, a social ecosystem, then uh if they would have let go of the denial, then it might have really overwhelmed people. Yeah. You know, if they really lived in a non-dualistic way, it might have really overwhelmed people. And so it's like also there's this kind of thing where it's like, let's just celebrate that we can even be looking at this stuff right now. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because he couldn't before. No. They're like all the strategies, all the ways of coping, they were all legitimate and they came about very intelligently. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has been a super, super fun conversation. Um, guys, we're gonna have to wrap it up now. Um, but there's gonna be more coming, right?
0: Yes, there will be more coming. We'll be dealing with all sorts of interesting topics along our way here. So we'll be interested in your feedback on what's meaningful for you, uh, where you're at in your own journey with this. Um, because as we said, there's so little out there on it. And so we're sifting through many, 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 many things, many aspects, many areas and, and um, aspect um, aspects and areas to discover. and. Um, and connect you know to the gifted world so whatever you all find most interesting and most intriguing most necessary for you let us know and we will bring that into our future conversations
1: yeah so thank you all for listening and we'll be back (laughs) and thank you to you Karin thank you it's been a pleasure as always same all right bye
0: everyone bye